Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by the one and only Ben Greenfield. Yes, indeed. And uh, he's here to talk to us about his new book today, which is a, has a really good title. It's called Boundless. And it's his book on longevity that seeks to uh, compile his best longevity hacks. And I think Boundless is a great name for it because it really isn't as much about making you live longer. It's about making you live healthier and and with more vibrancy and, and ability to participate in life. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Ben. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Joe. And, and you're right. I, w- I was thinking about like limitless or <laughs> superhuman or, or, you know, something that, that really denoted just like being completely unstoppable. But I thought, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not unstoppable, nor do I think that, that any human being would be able to operate without actual limits but the goal of the book was basically energy, right? Like, like not just from a mitochondrial standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, from uh, ju- just just an overall, you know, circadian rhythmicity standpoint, gut standpoint. So I've, you know, my idea was to give people as much as they could have to just have as much energy as they want at their beck and call every day. Yes, indeed. So what I neglected to mention in your intro was who you exactly are, for those of you who <laughs> you are. And you're, you're quite an astounding person. You're an, uh, a really good athlete, a uh, professional athlete, in, in fact, and I think you're in the process of transitioning out of that. But, and you also have a very popular following. You are the, in the, I don't know if you know this, but you're in the top 10 natural health sites in the world. Really? So, yeah, you are. Oh. You have, you're the most visited athlete in the entire world in natural health. No question. That's no crazy. Question. Yeah. I didn't know that. I better start posting about a whole bunch of controversial stuff so I get removed <laughs> off the list. <laughs> so congratulations. You know, I've been, we've been uh, friends for a while and I really uh, enjoy your regular interviews and your uh, contributions you're making to helping understand how to push it. And you really are able to network with a lot of good people and top researchers and scientists around the world. And and you bring this information to us and you know, you've compiled in a book because the book, my, my summary of it is, is if you, if someone doesn't know who you are, this is the best way to get up to speed and like literally learn years of information in one book. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and just, just summarize the book though. In some ways it, it's a bit unusual. It's not your typical standard book. It's a little pricier. It's bigger. It's got full color photographs. And you've compiled all your resources and references, which are extensive online. So the book is long, but it's not because there's references in there. 
Yeah. And I, and I certainly, uh, I know when people listen to a podcast, they, uh, definitely don't want a commercial. They want, uh, they want some, some information, but in brief, yeah, it was like 1200 pages when I turned it into the publisher and we, uh, we retained all the information that got cut out online. So if you go to the, the webpage for each of the respective chapters, you can dig into any of the stuff that got, that got cut, you know, uh, for example, you know, in, in the chapter on, on sex and libido and orgasms, you know, there's a hefty portion on, you know, on the actual ingredients in gas station dick pills. Interesting, but probably not something that uh, if you're trying to look for, uh, for optimizing the information you put on pages, something to put in the, in the print pub. So anything like that, it could just kind of lives on online, all, all the fun stuff. And then, um, yeah, the book wound up being 650 pages and uh, I wanted to write the kind of book that I like to read, which is kind of a big meaty book that you don't just like read and toss aside, but that you use as a reference for a long time. Maybe keep on your coffee table. I wanted it to be pretty, have good illustrations, be fun to thumb through. And also, unlike previous books that I've written, not just focus on things like athletic performance or sick pack abs or muscle or fat, but you know, a lot of the stuff that I think is more important, uh, your relationships, um, anti-aging and longevity tactics, spirituality, purpose in life. And so I, I kind, of, uh, kind of snuck in and tried to, to dump some of the woo-woo stuff onto the whole the whole fitness wellness crowd as well because sometimes i think you know we we're striving to to feel good and to look good and we think that's what's going to bring us happiness when in fact you know as we know from you know from 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 a lot of areas where people are living long and happy lives despite smoking cigarettes you know it's yeah. it's relationships and big family dinners and and optimizing your purpose in life and and some of these things that i think sometimes get neglected in this whole chatter about wellness Yes, indeed. So let's get dive deep and start giving some really good meat and uh, some of the highlights of your book so that they understand the, the benefits of reading it with, with me. So one, one, I think one of the best uh, features you bring to the table is your commitment to being very fit and yeah. the strategies to achieve that. Because in my view, in the longevity space, I think that is a widely underappreciated benefit of having muscle mass and that is a, as a reserve in case you get sick, uh, get into the hospital, your likelihood of surviving is going to be much higher. So why don't you provide us with some of your best, uh, recommendations and how to do that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, specifically, yes, muscle is important, you know, as, as you've noted, of course, as not only a, a, a glucose sink, uh, which, which can come in handy, uh, but also as, you know, in very simplistic terms, a way to be harder to kill. We know that, uh, for example, grip strength is associated with longevity. There are other elements of fitness that are such as, uh, you know, walking speed or VO2 max, for example, but grip strength is up there. Um, and, you know, everything from being able to get up and get down off of the ground to being able to, you know, pick up your, your grandkid. A lot of these things are important as you age, staving off sarcopenia and staving off the, the osteopenia or osteoporosis that might come with sarcopenia. That's absolutely important as well. And it is something that is much easier to accomplish uh, before you begin to get into your senior years, although research has since 
kind of um, dispelled the notion that you can't build muscle as you age. Now, can you maintain muscle as you age? You can, you can build muscle. Um, and and when it comes to fitness, you know, I, I I like to look at things through the lens of physiology, right? Like, what are the physiological mechanisms that we want to target? What are the body systems that require different exercise modes or modalities to be able to target? And um, I'll, I'll save muscle for last because uh, we, we could certainly take a deep dive into building muscle. But in short, uh, the, the, the main elements that you want to focus upon that I, that I explore in more detail in the book, but essentially it's, it's uh, mitochondrial density and biogenesis, which uh, we know is best achieved through very brief spurts of exercise, right? All using the, the creatine phosphogenic system primarily, uh, slightly tapping into the glycolytic system, but about 10 to 30 seconds in duration, like very short, hard bursts of energy followed by long rest periods, or right? like a three three to one or a four to one rest to work ratio. We're talking about one single session a week where you might do 30 seconds all out followed by four minutes of recovery. And you could do that for several rounds, right? Like four to six rounds where it's just 30 seconds all out. Uh, another, in addition to the mitochondria would be lactate tolerance. Uh, which which is often in, in physiology called muscle endurance, but this would be the ability for you to be able to buffer lactic acid. And that's kind of a, a, a different scenario. Probably one of the better examples of that would be the classic Tabata set, right? A two-to-one work-to-rest ratio, and this is something that, unlike a mitochondrial workout, would be something that you would need to do about two to three times a week. You could use it as an introduction or as a finisher to a strength training workout, for example, if you want to really prioritize your time, but a Tabata set is just about four minutes in length, and it is uh, eight rounds of 20 seconds as hard as you can go with 10 seconds of recovery, preferably using a full body modality, right? Like a, an Airdyne bicycle or burpees or one of the elliptical trainers where you're using both your arms and your legs, a rowing machine, you know, if you're using technology, you know, something like uh, a lot of folks nowadays are using, you know, like these Vasper exercise machines, for example. Oh, come Any, on, it's not a lot of folks. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it's becoming, you, you're, you're right, they're very expensive. It's not like there's one in everyone's home. They have some units in, in different areas, uh, you know, different gyms and biohack facilities, but they have one of my favorite workouts on there is the Tabata function, right? You push the Tabata function and you're, you have blood flow restriction, you have cold, you have grounding and earthing, and you just go to town for, for a four minute round. And actually that one, you recover for about four minutes, then you do another four minute round. So that's a little bit, a little bit more of a step up. But anyways, for, for lactic acid tolerance, yeah, it's a, it's about a two to one work dress ratio. And I like just the simple Tabata set that you squeeze in two or three times a week. Uh, you have your VO2 max, right? Maximum oxygen utilization. That's another physiological parameter that's not hit by those Tabata sets. It's not really hit by those mitochondrial density sets because neither are long enough. And so for improving your maximum oxygen capacity, which you can increase by up to 15%, like it's trainable. You're not really, yeah, you know, there, there's a certain genetic ceiling, but it's trainable. Sorry, go ahead. Quick question here uh, on the VO2 max. I understand yeah. that there's some fitness trackers that can get a pretty good assessment of that. Are, can you comment on it? Yeah, they're, they're approximating based on heart rate. Uh, I, you know, indirect calorimetry where you're actually wearing a mask mm -hmm. in a physiology lab or at a health club uh, where you're gathering the amount of oxygen consumed and carbon dioxide produced. 
uh, that's the gold standard for assessing mm -hmm. VO2 max. And I like that test for everybody to do, even if it's just once, because typically if you go in and you get a VO2 max test, the same equipment that they use to measure your VO2 max will also measure your resting metabolic rate and your RQ. So you can see how much carbohydrate and fat you're burning at rest, how many total calories you're burning at rest. Very good way to assess, you know, everybody in the fitness sector, it seems, are throwing around this term fat burning machine uh, or metabolic efficiency. And this is a way that you can actually quantify that, right? Is, is, my, is my exercise or my fitness program actually decreasing my RQ, increasing the amount of fats and carbohydrates burnt or the amount of fats burnt at rest? Yeah. So and, what's your VO2? Uh, last time I tested, it was early 60s, like low 60s. I would suspect because, as you alluded to, I'm kind of backing out of the, of the hefty, hardcore uh, sports right now. I'm probably now like mid to upper 50s, I would hazard a guess. You have guys like Lance Armstrong. I, I think he was he, – he actually didn't have – a super high VO2 max uh, for, for, for professional cyclists. I think he was something like mid 70s. And, and, and you'll see some guys up in the 80s, but Lance had lactate tolerance that was through the roof, meaning his exercise capacity, the, the percentage of his lactate tolerance threshold as a percentage of his VO2 max was like 85, 90%, meaning he could go very hard for long periods of time because he could buffer lactic acid so efficiently. And uh, arguably, that, that's just as important as VO2 max. Um, anyways, it's also, though, it's also the way important that you for your brain. It. It's also important for your brain. Oh, yeah. The acid, absolutely. like Jones, is a magnificent brain food. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, th this is probably one reason why, you know, uh, hyperbaric, which I know you've been doing a lot of lately, and I've, uh, I'm on, I think my mid, I, I think I'm like up to like 33, 34, something like that for sessions over the past month and a half. I'm in that thing almost every day right now. now but that or, or exercise with oxygen therapy. Do you have a lay down chamber? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have how the soft do, shell. How do you get work done in that thing? Cause you're, you're in there for over an hour and your case, your case probably two hours at a time. How do you get anything done? I read you, I read your book yesterday. In there. Uh, <laughs> How do you I, do that laying down is, is the question. I, I like, so for those of you watching the video, I'm, I'm kind of like on my side, I, you know, I'm a side oh, sleeper anyway, okay. so it's easy for me. And I'm kind of, kind of, uh, propped up on my side. And then the other thing that I do in there is uh, breath work and napping. So the, the, the two things I do aside from, from reading books, because I don't bring my laptop in there. I, I don't like to have my phone in there either. But, and, and one reason for that is it's in an area of my house where I get one bar reception. So, you know, my, my EMF exposure is, is not that great when I'm in that thing if I have my phone on. But the, uh, the, the other two things that I do is I have, <coughs> excuse me, one of those um, new calm devices, which is like a vagal nerve stimulator. Uh, that, that comes with like a, an app that plays these very relaxing uh, beats and that knocks me out for about 20 minutes. And some of the studies they're doing at that company show that, that it, it, it does a very good job at simulating like a full sleep cycle when you do about 20 minutes uh, on this new calm. So I'll put that on. And then the other one that I like is there's a guy, uh, his name is, he, go, he goes by the name, the renegade pharmacist. You can find him online and he has a breathwork course. And I downloaded all the audios from his breathwork course. And a lot of them, you know, like the one I did yesterday was um, two count in, four count out, like. And you're doing that for about 11 minutes to this. 
really intense music. And at the very end, you're doing a full inhale, you're holding, you're drawing the energy up your spine all the way to the top of your head, you know, up through all your chakras, you're holding, then you're releasing and holding almost like a miniature holotropic breath work type of scenario. And I've found that doing that with the high amounts of pressurized oxygen is just next level. I, I feel amazing when I finish something like that in the hyperbaric. So those are the three things that I do in there. Uh, and, and, and you're right, that type of oxygen or even, although it's not pressurized, exercise yeah, with oxygen therapy, exercise with oxygen therapy is the other one they'll do. No, but it's pressurized. Oh, oh EWAT is saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I still do the EWAT. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you you in your book you did not I, I just checked it double double confirm it but you didn't talk about hyperbaric is it, yes so so uh, that that's that's a very very astute of you um, and I added it uh, three weeks ago <laughs> because I was about two weeks into my hyperbaric sessions and I realized this is such a game changer there's no way I can't leave this out of the recovery section of the book so I went back in and the published version of the book because you have a pre-release uh, has a section on HBOT in it so mm -hmm. that's now <laughs> in there um, anyways though so back to that 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 vo2 max test like I mentioned you can do the resting metabolic rate and analysis with this mask on. But then once you've finished that, if you're in a physiology lab or a health club and they're offering metabolic rate analyses, they'll then put you on a treadmill or a bicycle and take you up to your maximum oxygen utilization. And the cool thing about that is not only can you measure your VO2 max, but it will also track, just like it did at rest, the amount of fats and the amount of carbohydrates that you're burning for any given heart rate during exercise. So you can also track metabolic efficiency during exercise. And this would be the, the classic equipment that, for example, Jeff Volek used when he studied in, uh, endurance athletes who followed a high fat versus a high carb diet. And he found that the fat utilization, even at very high intensities was higher than you'd see in any physiology textbook, right? Like it was like 1.5 grams of fat per minute. I think one athlete got up to like 1.8. You know, most of the textbooks say you can achieve 1.0 grams of fat per minute. And that's well, what was used to measure that was the, was the, was the VO2 max test. And you were one of the athletes in this study, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. So what, it was, it was what, what was your number that, that you reached? For fat utilization? Yeah. I think it was like 1.55, 1.57, somewhere around in there. So I, I was middle of the road. It, was a, it wasn't a fun test, though. I had to follow a super high-fat diet for 12 months, 90% fat for 12 months. My, my pre-workout meal, 90%, 90%. My, my pre-workout meal for the three-hour treadmill test was about – uh, a four ounce cup with heavy cream in it and one strawberry. And that, that for running three hours on the treadmill, that's, that's not a lot, but, uh, but, but, uh, you know, it, it was all for the sake of science. And then they found some really interesting information in there and, you know, they had muscle biopsies and fat biopsies. The test was called for those, you want to look it up the, the faster study by Jeff Volick. How do you um, spell that? How do you spell it? F-A-S-T-E-R. -E I don't remember what it stands for, but it's, it's, it's actually an acronym. Um, so, so you've got your VO2 max. The question is, once you've got all that information, sure, you, you can know how many fats and carbohydrates you're burning at rest. You can, you can know much more precisely how many calories you're burning, uh, but uh, how do you train it? And this is that third parameter in addition to mitochondrial uh, capacity and lactate tolerance and uh, your maximum oxygen utilization. The way that you train that is longer efforts of about four to six minutes in duration 
with four to six minutes of recovery between each. So we're talking a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio. You only need to do that once every one to two weeks, meaning get on a bike. And in my opinion, this is the hardest of, of them all, you know, going hard for four to six minutes, then recovering for four to six minutes, then going hard for four to six minutes. And you do that about four to six times through. Right. So, so you're, you're talking about exercising for you know, at least 30 minutes and sometimes, you know, 45, 50 minutes for your VO2 max session. But if you really want to improve it, uh, that's, that's the way that you get your maximum oxygen utilization up. So, uh, we've got those three parameters of, of your, your physiological fitness. And then you've also got a, a few others. A one would be your power. And the power is going to be different than the muscle mass because if you're looking at your fast switch muscle fibers, um, you know, mass is not necessarily synonymous with power. And, and mass is good for bone density. It's good for strength. Uh, it, it's good for, as we noted earlier, you know, being kind of like a, a glycogen container. But you also want functional power. And uh, in terms of functional power, the, the best way to do that, in my opinion, if you want to stay injury-free for life, is not CrossFit or powerlifting, which is good, but that's for the general population I've found is not a sustainable for life scenario. Instead, I like body weight training done in a very fast, explosive manner or very light medicine ball, very light sandbag. Kettlebells are wonderful for this as well. But basically a couple of times a week, you know, a perfect example would be the New York Times seven minute workout. Anybody can find that. It's 14 to 15 different exercises, 30 seconds as hard and explosive as you can go, 15 seconds of recovery or so. And you just work through those exercises in a very brief body weight explosive manner. And so you're hitting your, your fast twitch explosive muscle fibers. Now, uh, in addition to that, there, there's two others, your, your strength and your stamina. For stamina, this is something that I think is often neglected in a program. This would just basically be your fat burning efficiency, your ability to be able to go for long periods of time, your aerobic system. There are two ways that, that I like to achieve this. Number one would be something very similar to the long walk you do on the beach, right? Like even just once a week, preferably in a fasted state, somewhere in the range of a one and a half to three hour hike, bike ride, paddle session, anything where your body is engaged in chronic repetitive motion for a long period of time, which admittedly, if we look at Ironman triathletes and marathoners, is horrible if you're doing it every day, especially if, if, if you're getting above your aerobic threshold, which is kind of like a conversational pace every day. But every once in a while, and I love this for the weekends, long hike with the family, long bike ride where I'm you know, catching up on some podcasts or audiobooks, fasted state, you know, some water and some salts, uh, that, that's very, very good for your stamina, for your fat burning efficiency. The other way I like to do this is I just get up in the morning in a fasted state and do about 20 to 30 minutes of fasted cardio, typically always followed by some kind of a, a cold soak or cold shower or, or cold bath. Uh, and then finally, you get to the muscle. You know, the, the question that you asked that, that kind of got me down this, this rabbit hole. And again, there are a lot of modalities for muscle maintenance and muscle building. But one of my favorites, if we're looking at this as something that you could do for life, would be something very similar to what author Doug McGuff highlights in his book, Body by Science, I love which is uh, super slow training. Super slow training where you're simply doing one single set to failure of a few full body exercise moves like chest press, row, pull down or pull up, leg press or squat, and a shoulder press. 
And I have some people who just love to lift. The gym is their happy place. Their, their basement weights are their happy place. And I have no issues with them doing something like that. And sometimes they'll recover for a little while, walk five minutes on the treadmill, then do it one or two additional times, right? Just, just for that extra little bit of strength, which is just fine. And there are some things like uh, you know, the X3 bar, for example, which is like an elastic band training system that would allow you to do this on the go. Um, another way that you can do it if you don't have any weights is to use blood flow restriction training and use that with super slow training where you're doing super slow pushups, super slow squats, super slow lunges, et cetera, with blood flow restriction straps on. So you're essentially fooling your muscles into thinking that they're lifting a heavy weight, even though it, it is a lighter weight, which is nice if you, if you don't have access to a lot of equipment, but basically you do something like that one to two times a week for the muscle. And when combined with the explosive, powerful body weight stuff that I mentioned earlier, that's a pretty good scenario. And when you add all that stuff up, you know, mitochondrial density, the lactate tolerance, the VO2 max, the, the stamina, uh, the, the, the power and the muscle building, it sounds like a lot, but really you can do all that with a time commitment of about 45 to 50 minutes a day, that one longer session on the weekend. And um, it, it, it's, it's kind of a, a sustainable scenario for life, for busy people, but it hits all those different physiological parameters. So you're not leaving something off the table, whether it's your VO2 max or mitochondrial density or what have you. And, and then finally, when it comes to muscle mass, if you really want to put on muscle, I've found, you know, especially for me, I put on 15 pounds of muscle over the summer and I, I, I worked in a lot of nutrients that I think helped out quite a bit. So in the, in the evenings, I'd, I'd always do a 12 to 16 hour fast. So I'd get the autophagy and, and I do other things, uh, for, for kind of hormesis or autophagy, you know, like a lot of sauna, a lot of, a lot of cold, uh, you know, those, those long fasted walks in the morning. But, uh, I, I found a few things really, really moved the dial for me. Uh, three things in particular, actually, uh, I did a lot of colostrum. So, uh, colostrum is what, you know, you'd, you'd see in the first part of a, any mother mammal's milk that has the growth factors and the peptides in it to allow the small mammal to grow into a large mammal. It's very good for kind of healing up the, the naturally leaky gut of a small mammal, but it's also wonderful for the gut lining of, of humans. And I would do a couple big tablespoons of colostrum powder in the morning. Still do this. Uh, and the interesting thing is the colostrum capsules, you need to break them open if you're going to use them because it's the, the salivary amylase that activates the growth factors in the colostrum. So you want to roll it around in your mouth a little bit. Yeah, before you swallow it. Uh, and, and otherwise, you're not, you're not going to get everything that you could get out of the colostrum. Another couple of things are uh, uh, organ meats or organ capsules. So I've been doing, you know, when I travel, I, I have, uh, I have this, this gal who helps me out with packing when I travel. And I, I have these bottles of supplements in my pantry that are all uh, organ complexes like uh, prostate, and, and, or prostate and, and, and thyroid and thymus and liver and kidney and, and brain and all these, these different organ meats. And so I take these capsules when I'm on the go. And then when I'm at home, you know, I do, I do a lot of, capsules are you taking? It's like oh, it's like 32 capsules. It, it's, it's like six of this and four of that. So it's a big old Ziploc bag, but it allows me to, when I travel, get what I get when I'm normally at home. You know, I've got a freezer full of liver and kidney and heart and all these wonderful organ meats when I'm at home that I work in with bone broth. And so I'm getting, you know, not only a lot of the glycine, but a lot of these pro-growth nutrients that you get from some of these organ meats, a ton of fat-soluble vitamins. And so uh, I, I take the capsules when I travel. I use this stuff. Uh, I've got two companies I've used, uh, Paleo Valley and Ancestral Supplements, for my, uh, for my organ complexes. 
And then uh, another one is uh, is peptides. I started to use some some growth hormone uh, uh, secreting precursors, uh, particularly one that I found to be really effective uh, is a peptide, which is just it's just a short amino acid sequence that, rather than blasting every part of tissue with growth hormone, just is able to target cell surface receptors on specific tissue. In this case, muscle tissue, and that's a uh, tessamorelin. Um, tessamorelin, T-E-S-A-M-O-R-E-L-I-N. It's an injectable peptide. You just inject it subcutaneously in kind of the, the fat tissue around your abdomen. And um, I, I use that five days on and two days off. And I, th- I think that's very effective for, for a little, little kick up in muscle gain as well. Hmm. Interesting. Some great hacks. But, you know, the most these would be uh, particularly useful for your audience, which is in large part competitive athletes or people who are really engaged in seeking to optimize their fitness. Most of our audience is, a, is significantly older and very few competitive athletes. So I w- wonder if we can focus on the uh, just main g- gaining, uh, achieving a level of uh, healthy muscle mass that is you know, basically doable for a 60, 70, 80 year old. So, yeah. and, and in that case, you know, I'm particularly intrigued with blood flow restriction training. And actually, we had the chance to, to work out together in San Diego earlier this year. Um, and do a, a session on that. I know you're doing those now when you travel because it just makes you can utilize the, the hotel gym weights and get a really good workout. But it seems, you know, and I and I've listened to Doug McGuff recently, and he's he's embracing blood flow restriction training too. And he actually believes that sl- super slow training is a form of blood flow restriction training, and it, and it, mm. and it makes sense because you you, you yeah. produce some of the same benefits. So I'm wondering uh, what your and I know John Doolittle, who's a, with the Katsu company. Katsu yeah, company, yeah. Came out to your place and kind of mentored you through some of that. I'm wondering what your experience has been with the blood flow restriction therapy. And, and if your, your recommendations for an elderly population would embrace that a little more strongly. Yes, a couple of things. Um, first, uh, uh, my audience used to be uh, competitive athletes. My primary demographic now, including the primary demographic of the people I coach, they're all about 40 to 60-year-old executives who actually do follow a program very similar to what I've just described. And yes, it may seem like colostrum and organ meats and tessamorelin or something some pro football player might use. But <laughs> as a matter of fact, for aging individuals who want to put on muscle, there is no reason that supplementation and, and a little bit of better living through science would seem like something just that only professional athletes or, or, or bodybuilders would do. So I, I, should necess- I, I, should, I should make sure people know that um, the, that entire workout routine I just described is in no way something I'll give to a professional athlete, right? Like I train some marathoners and some triathletes and they're out on like, you know, two hour hardcore bike rides and these, these, you know, crushing track repeat workouts that last an hour. So, so what I just described actually is very close to what you would want as a stay fit for life type of routine. Now, when it comes to the blood flow restriction training, absolutely. You know, as I alluded to, it's a great way to do super slow training without weights. And I can describe to you, the, the, I, I've, I'm, I'm kind of an 80-20 guy. I tend to like to just grab the best of the best and get the most simple version of that because especially when I'm traveling and I've got so much cognitive fatigue going on anyways, and I'm being pulled in so many different directions, I keep things as simple as I can. So for example, when I travel with my blood flow restriction straps and those, I used to use the the uh, you know just the just the 
cheap Amazon straps and, you know, learn from, from Doolittle and, and others that that uh, is basically occlusion. You're, you're still trapping blood in the muscles, but you're not getting the same effect. And it may even be causing some muscle damage compared to, or vascular damage compared to these elastic bands that are like the Katsu bands that basically uh, that they use like a, like a pressurized hand controller to fill these things with a little bit of air and you can very precisely control the millimeters of mercury that, that you get into these things. And, and you can put them, even though they discourage you from doing so, I'm all about efficiency, as, as you may have imagined. And I'll, I'll put them on the arms and on the legs simultaneously. Even though they say it's a no-no, I get a faster, better workout out of that. So I put them on the, the reason, arms. Just so you know, the reason it's a no-no is because not everyone is as super fit as you, and they may undergo yeah. hypotensive uh, crisis and pass out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So maybe if you put them on your arms and your legs, the first thing you should try is something where you're on the ground, like crunches, you know, or, or maybe a push up where all that's going to happen is you might smash your nose against the carpet if you, if you pass out. But, um, the, I put them on my arms and my legs and I do, uh, and, and again, like classical blood flow restriction training workout is around 30 reps. And then you take about 30 seconds of rest and you know, another 20 to 30 reps and 30 seconds of rest. Then as many reps as you can crank out for that final set, then you rest, then you move on to a new muscle group. What I personally do is I do 30, 20, 10. Right, so, mm -hmm. I, so, I, so I do uh, blood flow restriction training on the arms and the legs, and I do 30 reps squat, 30 reps push up, 30 reps with a little elastic uh, pulling thing that I have, 30 reps lunges, uh, 30 reps overhead press, and 30 reps of, of like a V-up crunch. And I go through that whole circuit and then I do 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 on all of them. And I'm pretty gassed by that point. But then I finish up with a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And for me, I like that because I do the hardest set for everything at the beginning. Then it gets a little bit easier for the second round. Then for the last round, you know, mentally, all I got to do is get to 10. So that's, that's the way that I do it when I travel. And absolutely, I, I think that the super slow training, because you're very similar, like trapping a lot of blood, trapping a lot of lactic acid in the muscle, because you're forcing that muscle to move so quickly, right? The time under tension for a properly done super slow set should be 90 plus seconds. Uh, and, and if you're, you know, if, if you really get good at this, you can go like three minutes, you know, for, for example, doing eight reps on the chest press machine for example. And for those who might scoff at single set to failure training and think they need three or four rounds, just try it one time going to failure for 90 plus seconds. Try to get up to three minutes if you can. And there you, you will not have any desire to do multiple rounds unless you're just a, you know, you're glutton for punishment or unless you didn't go hard enough on the other rounds. Now, and if again, you, like, if you can do another round, you, you didn't do it hard, didn't do it correctly. I mean, yeah, you, if you would be physically incapable of doing a second set. Right. And that's what, like, like I said, I have, I have two guys in particular who I work with. They, they, they grew up around the weights. They're both former football players. Now they're execs. They like the gym and both of them had come to me and they're like, can I just do a little bit more? Like I, I, the gym's my happy place. It's like my moving meditation. So I have them do it. But, but again, like I mentioned earlier, they'll, they'll go off, they'll do some aerobic cardio, then come back and do another round. But, uh, those, those other rounds are more like, um, uh, they're, they're, they're lower quality training for sure, you know, but, but again, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I understand if people just want to want to move a little bit more and that's their catharsis for the day. Yeah. And the only danger of doing the, the protocol you described is that you're going to keep those bands on your arms a bit too long because Katsu doesn't recommend keeping them on their arms longer than 15 minutes and uh, for risking some vascular 
insufficiency problems. Uh, I know. I mean, you're in great shape, so it's not an issue, but there's a lot of people who don't have a fraction of your fitness level and vascular capacity. Yeah, but the other thing you can do with the arms and the legs is go on a walk. Have you done this before? Oh, you just put them on, put them I, on the arms and legs, go on a walk. It's amazing. Yeah, well, with Katsu, unlike any other system, they, you can do something called cycling where it, goes, where it maintains its inflation status for 30 seconds and then deflates mm -hmm. for five and then repeats it. So I typically every day go for about an hour walk on the beach with my feet in the water, uh, and uh, I'm cycling the whole time on my legs. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's wonderful. And, and for those of you who need to visualize what that looks like is a little handheld controller and, um, do you, you keep the controller on. So it's cycling, right? Yeah, you have to. Yeah. But just are you cycling legs. arms or are you cycling legs? Cause there's just only the two. No, just okay. The just the legs. legs. Got it. Okay. I, I don't do, I don't do both extremities like you do. Okay. Got it. Got it. I'm, I'm not Ben Greenfield fit. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's a great tool and I'm, I'm glad you've embraced it. And it's just, to me, it, 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 it's a simple tool that people can use that radically will improve their health. And that really, many of them aren't interested in injecting peptides or doing lots of supplements, but it's, a, you know, it really addresses the mechanical issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I admire what you've done. I mean, you re, that's one of your massive gifts is that you have, you can compile so much information presented in digestible formats that people can actually use. So, I mean, I don't know anyone else that's doing this type of service as well as you are. By the way, and, and uh, you know, I guess this is kind of a supplement, but I tried this out because obviously there's so much lactic acid when you do this blood flow restriction training. Uh, I found a study on transdermal carnosine as a lactate buffer. Oh. And uh, I found, I, does, I actually, yeah. yeah, I found a company. It's uh, uh, Lactigo, and I'm not, I'm not affiliated with them at all, but, but it's like this cream you can put on your muscles before you do the blood flow restriction. It's transdermal carnosine. And uh, I don't know if it reduces the efficacy of the workout because it's assisting with the buffer because part of the mechanism is that increased lactate concentration can accelerate growth hormone release post-workout. But man, you burn a, a whole lot less when you put that stuff on. Yeah, I, I would be reluctant to do it. And, and I'm actually passionate about carnosine. It's my new focus now after blood flow restriction training. I'm doing hmm. a type of review on it. And I would be reluctant to do that because you said it buffers the lactic acid. And we believe yeah. lactic acid is probably one of the primary ways that the benefits are achieved through right and let, let's let's face it something something like that was was designed for you know the, the marathoner who's going to put that on their legs to, uh, to they're not doing the marathon to create as much lactic acid as possible they're trying to reduce as much as possible yeah but carnosine is great i love it i mean yeah. i think it's one of the best anti-aging hacks out there did you discuss that in your book carnosine um it's mentioned it, it's mentioned i believe in one of the sections on strength but it's, it's not something I, I treat heavily nor nor is it a, a staple of my own supplementation routine so yeah. uh so no i don't treat that too much in the book yeah i'm not suggesting that you need to do this as a supplement although there may be benefits for that but i mean it's carno the word carnosine carn means meat so it's in meat mm. it's meat products you're not going to get it as a vegetarian for the most part yeah yeah but anyway, that's a, that's a tangent, and so, but I want to go into your book more. So, uh, and, and in fact, aspects of the book that I haven't even read yet because it was put on there, put in there after I got the draft. <laughs> uh, the, so I'm curious as to uh, what your observations are in hyperbaric now. Is it is it primarily related to your ability to recover well, or, or are you using it for other purposes? 
You know, I, I haven't noticed a remarkable increase in recovery speed, but I have noticed I've had a couple very mild soft tissue injuries that I've, I've put myself in there immediately after and, you know, could be placebo, but, you know, again, based on the research of hyperoxia and, and the oxygen delivery to those tissues, I think that it, that it helps with injury recovery, even for mild soft tissue injuries pretty dramatically. But, you know, the main thing I've noticed, because a lot of times when I'm on these walks in the morning, I, I do breath work, right? I'll hold my breath. I do uh, once a month. And I, I did it uh, last week. This is the first time I've done it since I started using HBOT. I, I do uh, a holotropic breath work, you know, similar to what Stanislav Grof developed as an alternative to LSD for, for right. merging left and right hemispheres of the brain and taking to, you to a, a very cool place. I mean, the, the highest you can get without psychedelics, really. And when I do those, those breath holds, I mean, again, very similar to that 11-minute routine I was talking about earlier, but you get to, to the end of a cycle of breath, and it's a deep breath in, and then you breathe it all out, I can hold my breath for Ever. Like it used to be like about three to three and a half minutes on the exhale during holotropic breath work. I'm up around six minutes now. Yeah. And same thing when I do my breath hold walks and I'm walking, you know, every time I pass a telephone pole, I'll see how long I can hold my breath. And I, I play with all these different breath devices while I'm walking. I have another one called the relaxator, which uh, is based on Patrick McCown's work and the oxygen advantage. Uh, it trains you how to, how to retain simultaneously elevated levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So you know, based on the bore effect, you get you get more oxygen delivery into tissue when you do that. And essentially, all it means is that you you exhale for a far longer period of time than you inhale. And this relaxator that you put in your mouth, it, 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 it is basically like a resistance device where you breathe in through your nose, and then as you breathe out through your mouth, it's almost like you're breathing out through a straw or through very pursed lips. And you can go for a whole walk while you have this thing in your mouth. But you know, I'll, I'll do that. And then I'll also do these breath hold walks where every time I pass a telephone pole, for example, hold my breath as long as possible. And then I finally have to let it all out. I'll recover through my nose. All the recovery through the nose to the next telephone pole. And you hold your breath again. And I can hold my breath for like 10 extra steps now that I'm doing that hyperbaric uh, chamber training. So I don't know because I haven't had a, a biopsy done if, if there's increased mitochondrial density or if it's simply increased um, maximum oxygen utilization or what. But I mean, the, your breathing just feels clear and crisp and clean and full when you're using that thing on a regular basis. So I've certainly noticed a dramatic effect from that. And then finally, um, you know, for, for that napping, uh, I was... Uh, I forget where I heard the, the the idea that it might somehow affect the pineal gland and give you a little bit of a DMT release when you're in there. But when I have these naps, it's just, it, it, it's like you're slipping in and out of this subconscious and conscious state. And it takes about 10 minutes in that hyperbaric chamber where your eyelids start to get a little bit droopy and I'll put on some noise blocking headphones and a, and a, you know, an eye mask and just basically almost like trip out for like 20 minutes while that new calm is playing. And you know, it's, it's a, it's extremely, extremely relaxing, but you're not groggy when you get out. I just feel energized when I get out of that thing. So I'm definitely a fan. Do you have your wife and kids using it too? My kids. Yeah. When we travel, I put them in there after, after we travel, have them sit in there and read books. Uh, they usually fall asleep. Uh, but, but I put them in there after we're on the airplanes. So they've been in there about three times. Uh, my, my wife has done it twice now. She doesn't like it so much, but she doesn't like just about any, you know, I've got a float tank and a hyperbaric and a pulse electro table and, and all that. The only thing she likes is the infrared sauna. She likes the infrared sauna. She gets into that. 
Well, that's good. So I'm glad you've embraced that uh, as a tool. And uh, I found from my review of the literature that it's particularly useful for activating stem cells, which is another thing mm. you discuss in your book. And to me, it's almost neg negligence if you're going to make the investments of doing stem cells to not integrate it with hyperbaric therapy. And yeah. uh, I, I, to me, it's, it's also less expensive and may provide similar benefits unless you're really trying to target some specific tissue or injury that you have that uh, if it were just doing it for general longevity purposes, I think you might be a better bet with a hyperbaric. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. For stem cells particularly? Yeah, well, for, for longevity, which is a big focus of your book and improving things. Yeah, I, yeah and there's, there's risk for stem cells aside from the cost, the risk to your pocketbook. There's also yeah. the you know, exogenous DNA, and even if it's your own, you have other risk on that too. And yeah. so you know, I, I think it's a big question mark. I know you've embraced it. You did a stem cell makeover last year in May. And uh, so I'm wondering if you've changed your position on that. Well, I, I think that we know that certain natural lifestyle activities, you know, so, such as uh, fasting, long loading of the bones. I, I haven't seen the data on hyperbaric and stem cell mobilization. It's definitely there. I can send it to you. Yeah. From, from bone marrow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you're looking at your, at your stem cells, you know, really, really, you do see some loss, you know, similar to how you see loss of NAD as you age. But I think that it's better to focus on, on the, the signaling of the stem cells, meaning the, the, the ability of stem cells to mobilize or the, the paracrine based signaling that you get. And that's why I think that exosomes are a pretty decent alternative to harvesting your own fat or harvesting your own bone. I think that for a very beat up athlete, someone who is maybe even preparing for a long career as a professional athlete or someone who is coming out of a career as a professional athlete and who has just done a number on their joints, I think there's some benefit to increasing overall stem cell number with something like a stem cell makeover or an autologous stem cell infusion, you know, either cultured uh, fat stem cells or you know expanded stem cells you know a lot a lot of the the stem cell expansion you got to do in mexico or, or elsewhere because that's not legal in the u.s but uh, i i think that's that's a good idea for certain members of the population i also think that intranasal stem cells could be a good idea for those who have had tbi concussion etc but i like the idea of using uh, exosomes to enhance the ability of your own stem cells to communicate in conjunction with these things that enhance the viability of your own stem cells, like fasting, like hyperbaric, et cetera. Um, another one that's very interesting are the, the this idea of stressing cells so that they actually either release more exosomes or you cause a, almost like a slight expansion of the stem cells under a stressful medium. And this would be something, I did this with Dr. Holland Chen up in New York City, where they take about a pint of your blood out, they stress it in a very cold medium overnight. Uh, it causes a release of what are called very small embryonic-like cells or adult pluripotent stem cells, and then you get that re-injected back into your body. So it's more like an autologous blood infusion rather than drawing out your own fat or your own bone. And uh, I mean, just subjectively, I can tell you that that I felt more energy and, and more like a superhuman for like three months following that procedure, even compared to what I did with the with that you know stem cell overhaul in in Park City at Dr. Adelson's clinic, where they just 
you know, put you under and, and harvest, uh, harvest your, your bone and, and just inject every joint in your body. But I think exosomes or, or an APSC or V cell procedure is, is pretty decent. If you're just doing it for the joints, there's so many other things that are less expensive that you can try first, right? Like not only exosomes, but, uh, but, but very good ultrasound guided imaging with ozone or prolotherapy. A lot of practitioners now are using uh, BPC-157 or TB-500 as two very effective peptides for quelling active or uh, inflammation and uh, causing a regrowth of, of myosin and actin fibers. And you know, a lot of people now just do that at home subcutaneously because they do have a systemic effect when, when you inject yeah. them. And, and some are even oral, like BPC-157 you can take orally. So I, I think that, you know, again, unless you're a very beat-up athlete or yeah, you're, yeah. you're about to start a big professional career, stem cells aren't at the top of the totem pole as far as something you yeah. can do for, for your joints, for example. Well, speaking of peptides, I forgot to mention when we t- were talking about carotene that it's a peptide too. It's a dipeptide. Yeah. It's two simple yeah. amino acids, which is, and it's yeah. natural your body makes it, which is why I'm so fond of it. But let's go to some other tools because we talked about a lot of different things you can do. And I want to acknowledge you as the first, probably one of the first U.S. individuals to bring the aura ring back to the United States because you found about them when you were at a biohacking conference in Europe and uh, really, you know, exp- helped us understand the valuable tool this is. And I'm wondering uh, if you could explain, explain that a little bit just briefly. And then also if you've noticed any changes with your aura ring data with the hyperbaric. First of all, the, the easy answer is with the hyperbaric, I haven't noticed a lot with the aura ring aside from I have been sleeping longer in the mornings. However, I'm not sure if that's due to the aura ring because it started about halfway through the hyperbaric, or I'm not sure if it's due to the hyperbaric. It started about halfway through the hyperbaric. And um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm now doing, I'm, I'm getting a lot of like very like lucid dreams and intense dreams and, you know, some kind of a, a big DMT release as I'm dreaming. I don't necessarily think it's the hyperbaric. Uh, I, uh, I've, I've started on a quarterly basis doing couples therapy with my wife uh, where we're doing, uh, you know, it's very similar to like um, uh, MDMA and psilocybin based uh, uh, plant medicine assisted psychotherapy. And I think because I did that about two weeks ago, my body's just processing a lot. I'm dreaming a lot. I'm sleeping a lot. You know, last night I slept nine hours. And so I, I think it's more that than the hyperbaric, but I'd like to test the hyperbaric in isolation to see if, see if it does enhance sleep cycles. I was at a, a biohacking conference in Finland about five years ago, maybe six years ago now, and I came across this tiny little table in the corner uh, with this, uh, this guy who had this ring. And at the time I had pretty much just quit all wearables due to not only the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi signaling, many of them emit, but the fact that most were just doing very simplistic measurements like the Fitbit of resting heart rate and step count. And I was looking for something that would track my sleep cycles and also be able to put, be able to be put into airplane mode. And I I met this guy at the conference and he showed me the rings and I, I wound up, uh, buying one there at the conference and traveling with it back to the States. And it was, it was shortly after that, uh, that I, I wore it to some kind con- like paleo effects or some conference where a whole bunch of people were asking me about it. And, uh, before you knew it, it seems, seems like, you know, 
everybody's wearing an aura ring now wherever you go in these these biohacking or well, that, that first or one was a little bit was quite quite gaudy and, and oh it was huge yeah, yeah you yeah. couldn't miss it which is probably good for them i think that's why it took off and spreads like wildfires you couldn't miss it when people were wearing it now it looks like a like it's a big like a wedding, wedding ring yeah. yeah yeah i don't know maybe they should have kept it big for uh, for marketing purposes <laughs> but um yeah i like it uh it, did, it gives me good data but what i use the most really is the sleep data and then i find the step count data to be very motivating i i think since I've owned this ring, it's been pretty rare that I haven't had a day where I take 15,000 steps at least because that's my marker for myself. And it's very easy for me to now check at the end of the day. If, I, if I'm at dinner and I look at my ring, which I do, and I haven't had my 15,000 steps, I go for a walk after dinner. I mean, I find, I find it highly motivating. It sounds silly, but for step count and for sleep tracking, uh, I find it be very useful. For HRV, um, it gives yeah, you decent data, although I, I still like to use real-time HRV measurement in the morning, you know, using the gold standard Bluetooth enabled chest strap lying on my back. I use an app called nature beat. It sends both my low frequency and high frequency, uh, my sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system scores to the app allows me to track in real time for about five minutes as I breathe. And since I wake up in the morning and, you know, lay there and do a little bit of journaling and breathing anyways, it's, it's, it's really, really much a more accurate way for me to check into my HRV. But the aura ring does take a, a multitude of five minute readings, you know, while you're prone in bed overnight and yeah, but it's not it electrical. It's some just, data. It's yeah. Ball. It's not electrical. Exactly. So, so the, the accuracy is somewhat questionable, but it'll give you a ballpark. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not bad bad. I'm, I'm yeah. sure. So you, so that's a objective tool and it's relatively inexpensive compared to some of the other recommendations. And, yeah. and one of the other uh, strategies that you've been long advocating is uh, cold therapy. And I understand yeah. you, you just got a new uh, cold plunge tub yeah. that you've installed. In your, it, it, I don't think that's in the book, is it? Uh, it is now. I put it, it in about okay. three weeks ago. <laughs> okay. that, that one's called the Morozco Forge. Uh, I think they're based out of Texas, I want to say. But very, you know, they use uh, ozone and UV, the same thing I use to filter and clean my float tank. Uh, I use a little bit of hydrogen peroxide in the float tank as well. I don't recall if... Uh, because I have a, a, a guy who I actually pay to come over to my house and kind of take care of a few of my things like my, my sauna and my float tank and hyperbaric. I think they put hydrogen peroxide in the hyperbaric. Um, anyways, though, or in, not in the hyperbaric, in the, uh, <laughs> in, the, in, the cold, in the cold tub, they do clean the hyperbaric. I, I actually, I, I always keep a bunch of lavender essential oil in the hyperbaric, so it's very relaxing when you go in there. But the, uh, the cold tub, uh, it's, it's very cool. It's like a done-for-you, filtered, again, with, with UV and ozone, uh, fits two people, maintains temperatures of about 31 to 32 degrees Fahrenheit, even in like 110 degrees, you know, ambient temperatures. You got to still like break through the ice to get in. Um, you know, for the people doing the old school, you know, like aluminum feeder tubs that you get from the, from the feed stores, it, it's, it's a definite upgrade. And, uh, the, I, I won't be using it that much in the winter though, because I also have one of those endless pools, you know, like those aquatic swimming pools that you see like Michael Phelps advertising in the airplane magazines that you can swim in with resistance. I bought one of those when I was training for Ironman triathlon. And once I kind of quit doing many triathlons, you know, I quit swimming so much and I just turned it into a giant cold pool. And in the winter, that thing's in the, in the low 40s. And so I jump in there in the morning and I like that one because I can swim in it. Right? I can go underwater and swim back and forth and swim against the jets. And I mean, that thing's next level when it comes to, to cold thermogenesis. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of cold thermogenesis, especially in a fasted state so that you're able to, to maximize the conversion of, of white adipose tissue to brown fat. Um, 
Mitochondrial biogenesis. Yeah, a little bit of caffeine or capsaicin or green tea in the system beforehand can upregulate that process even more. Um, I'm using cold almost every day. And um, how, it's also, long it's, you, how long do you do it for? It, it, oh, it, you, not, not long. A lot, a lot of people, you know, they do these, they just beat themselves up. They do like a 10, 20 minute cold bath a day and they see Wim Hof and think you got to do that every single day. I'm in there for two to five minutes. But, okay. you know, I'm, sometimes that's, that's once in the morning, it's once in the evening. I always jump in there after a workout and everybody says, oh, you're going to blunt the hormetic response to exercise. But research has shown you got to do 10 plus minutes to do that in order to oh. decrease muscle temperature to the extent where you actually blunt that hormetic effect. So most of my workouts, uh, because I, I do a cyclic carbohydrate diet, right? Like I save all my carbohydrates for the evening and all my workouts typically occur between about four and 7 PM in the later afternoon to the early evening. So I'm very insulin sensitive going into that, that evening carbohydrate feed where I'll have, you know, my pumpkin or sweet potato or yam or dark chocolate or red wine or what have you. But uh, when I finish that workout, of course, I, I am aware that working out close to bedtime, the increased core temperature decreases deep sleep cycles. So I always go jump in that cold pool when I finish the evening workout. I'm usually jumping in there in the morning as well. But again, it's like two to five minutes. And about once every one to two weeks, I'll do a long soak, especially in the summer. Right. And, and law by long, I mean like 10 to 20 minutes in the ice or doing a few rounds, right? Where it's two to five minutes, but you're doing that, getting out, doing some breath work or some exercise, getting back in, doing it again, et cetera. Um, but, but that's, that's pretty few and, and far between that I do that type of thing versus just consistent short bouts of cold, which I think are more effective. And again, it's kind of like walking, right? Like if you tell somebody to walk on the treadmill for 40 minutes a day, it's highly unlikely they're going to do it. If you tell somebody to go for a 10-minute walk after every meal and then maybe one more in the morning when they get up or at some point in the afternoon, that's far more palatable for a lot of people to just like take these brief bouts of exercise and put them in throughout the day. I think the same thing goes for cold. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good tip for most of our uh, viewers. So I'm wondering, curious, how come your – because you live up near Spokane, I believe. Yeah. And why doesn't your uh, pool freeze over? Is it uh, it, it's, it's got a, uh, it's got like these jets in it and it will, it has a, it's called like a winter function. It's uh the pool's made by aqua fitness and they've got this winter function where it keeps the pipes and stuff from freezing where if it gets, I don't know what the temperature is, if it's 34 or 32 mm -hmm. or what, but it, it will turn on the pumps when it gets to a point where it's going to be close to freezing. So it doesn't actually freeze over. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So yeah. that, it, <laughs> it's quite a bit of a challenge to jump into a, was it 42 degree pool for even for yeah. a minute or two? I mean, it's not long, oh. but it's still a shock. It, it, feel, it feels amazing. I, I have, I have dinner parties at my house sometimes and I have that, that infrared sauna and uh, I'll, I'll squeeze like four to six people in the infrared sauna and we sit in there and I burn incense and you know, sometimes we have a little vaporizer in there and we'll do a little bit of organic tobacco or weed and, you know, sit in the sauna and sweat. And then we just all go trudging through the, through the snow out into the cold pool. And you know, usually there's steaks going on the grill upstairs or get in that cold pool and, and do all the face dunks. And I teach everybody how to, how to go up and down and swim back and forth. And uh, then there's a hot tub next to the cold pool. And you talk about nitric oxide 
you go out into the snow and you do, I'm telling you, Joe, you got to come visit me sometime. You do snow angels out in the <laughs> snow on your back and then you go get in the hot tub and you get this nitric oxide release, you know, tingling sensation everywhere, all up and down the skin. You do a few rounds of that and uh, then you, you, you always finish with cold. So your body is forced to, uh, to again, like a- activate a little bit more of that uncoupling protein as it warms up. Then you go in and you have dinner and I tell you what, that is an amazing, amazing way to party versus everybody sitting around the living room drinking wine before dinner. Yes, indeed. Well, that sounds like a, an incredible prescription for uh, an, an enjoyable evening for sure. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's amazing the, the hacks that you've compiled and really that uh, are available for all of us for the most part. But I mean, everyone's going to pick and choose, but it's a lot to pick from. And you have literally hundreds for sure and potentially over a thousand in your book i mean if you add them all up i mean there's just so many so kudos to you for compiling all this i know how many years did it take you like three years yeah, it took took three years i mean you know it's a it's always a chore to write a book and i wanted i wanted it to have a lot of scientific references in it. and i didn't want to get called out you know writing something about sound healing or you know or, or, or meditation you know have it be just complete woo and esoteric so so everything's scientifically referenced how many references are there again there's over two thousand. Oh, oh, i think there's over three thousand at this point yeah yeah, yeah. that's crazy yeah, yeah. so that's uh, congratulations yeah i've actually the book that i've just finished is probably gonna be the last one where i write for a long long time because, the emf'd yeah because oh, I, it's I, a, I just, such a great book yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, it, what I neglected to mention too, another one of your unbelievable characteristics is I personally do not know of any individual who reads books faster than you. You read my book in like under two hours. <laughs> it took yeah. like three years to write, but you read it under two hours. Yeah, I know. Sometimes, sometimes I feel bad if I tell an author that, that, I, that I, <laughs> I read it that quickly. But, but, you know, if you had written a book about cryptocurrency, it would have taken me longer because I'm so unaccustomed to the language and yeah. the terminology used. But when you're very accustomed to the language and terminology used in a specific sector, you get through books far more quickly. And I'm, I'm gradually training my children to do the same because they, they're required to go into my library and choose one book a week that they write a book report on at the end of the week. Wow. And so I'm trying to train them to get used to this fact that you do not take your time over the entire month to read a book. And yes, there are books you return to sometimes. And there are some books, you know, such as whatever the Bible, you're not going to read that in a day or spend a year to read that. But you know, I'm, I'm trying to get them used to this idea that it's okay to, to digest information at a rapid pace. And the human brain is able to, to, to assimilate this stuff as long as you train it just like you would a muscle. Yeah. And you were reading a book a day on average, or so you're like 300, 350 books a, a year. Yeah. 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 And then how many studies are you reviewing too? Typically it's, 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 it's not as many as you. I'm probably about four to five a day right now. Um, that's still, that's, yeah. that's 1500. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my happy place. So my, my research, uh, reading is, is I've got the, uh, the photo biomodulation panels in the office. So I make a cup of black coffee early in the morning. I go down there. I've got two of those panels. I strip off all my clothes, sandwich myself to those panels, uh, stand on a, on a grounding mat and, and read articles for typically, you know, about 45 minutes or so while I'm just sipping my coffee and charging my body up. Yeah. So how far away are you from the, those are the, the big Jew panels? Six inches. And those turn off after about 20 minutes. Okay. So you'll get 20 minutes worth. Yeah. You don't want to overdo it. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, because you've got the mixed ones. If if you had the the monochrome therapy, like all the A50s, and probably even half of that would be beneficial. Yeah, I tell you what, though, one thing you can do uh, before you do that is a little bit of methylene blue because that, that will activate the cytochrome C oxidase just a little bit more before a red light therapy or before a sunlight walk. So I've been getting those methylene blue trochies from uh, Dr. Ted Achacoso, and I dissolve those under my... Under my tongue. How many micrograms? I don't even know how many it is, but it's a he. He does. It's got a little bit of nicotine, a little bit of CBD, and a little bit of methylene blue in it. And I do that before I get out in the sunlight or under the red light. And it's amazing. Yeah, I don't notice a difference. You talk about that in your book. I don't think you. Maybe you did. I just don't. I mentioned methylene blue in the section on nootropics. I believe. Yeah, that's a good. I I use that pretty much every day too. About a hundred miles. Yeah. Good mitochondrial one. But anyway, there's. We've just touched the surface of what's in this book. Obviously, 1,200 pages, 2,000 references. You can imagine. And year, it took him three years to write this book. So if, you, if, you, if any of this intrigued you and you want to go deeper, definitely put this on your reading list. It's boundless. And it, it will, I can assure you it will take you longer than two hours to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope. So much, so much benefit. Anything else you'd like to add or your website probably is a good one. Yeah. My website is at, uh, uh, bengreenfieldfitness.com. I think I have already four interviews with Joe on there. Uh, fifth, <laughs> the fifth, fifth coming up soon. Yeah, so, uh, it's so, yeah. to be almost a record. Yeah. Yeah. You're up there. You're up there with, uh, who else has, has a lot of interviews, I guess, uh, Dr. Matt cook. He has yeah, quite yeah, a few. He's, he's one of, he's one of my favorite docs and, uh, Gosh, there's there's not many that, that are up there as far as, as repeat guests. Not that I wouldn't want to do repeat guests, just there's so many people to talk to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, that's one of your finest benefits from my perspective that you bring to the community is the your ability to, to uh, network with the some of the smartest people out there and bring them to the forefront. I mean, I've met I've met so many people through listening to your, your podcast. So thank you for that service. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon. And uh, congrats on your book. And uh, thanks. Thank you to everybody for listening in. All right. Cool. All right. Later, man. All right. Thanks, Ben.